Now entering Nerdist.com. It's the Nerdist Writers Panel on the Nerdist Podcast Channel. Ben Blacker talking writing with writers. Writers talking writing can get pretty exciting. But talk can be enlightening. It's very rarely frightening. Ben Blacker talking writing with writers. Welcome to the Nerdist Writers Panel Series, an informal chat about writing, television, and the business of writing for television. Each and every panel benefits 826LA, the national nonprofit tutoring program. For more information on 826LA, visit 826LA.org. I'm your moderator, Ben Blacker. Follow me on Twitter, at Ben Blacker. I'm the co-creator of the Thrilling Adventure Hour, a stage program in the style of old-time radio. For more information, visit thrillingadventurehour.com. We're also available as a podcast on nerdist.com. Uh, I've also written for the television programs Super Ninjas and Supernatural. We have a great group of writers, so let's introduce them up. After spending nine seasons on CSI, working her way from writer's assistant to a supervising producer to consulting producer, our first panelist has since written for Brothers and Sisters, Hawaii Five-O. Uh, she's currently on the television series Grimm. Please welcome Sarah Goldfinger. Say hi into that and adjust it so hi. it's comfortable. Hi. <laughs> Our next panelist also worked his way up the ranks uh, from assistant positions to writing on such series as Firefly, Dark Angel, Law & Order, SVU, Without a Trace, Castle, Haven, and most recently as a co-executive producer on Terra Nova. Please welcome Jose Molina. <laughs> And finally, after working his way up through uh, a lot of Canadian television productions, <laughs> including Avonlea, um, and American series such as Cupid, Snoops, Judging Amy, and Joan of Arcadia, our final panelist created Bones, and its spinoff, The Finder, Hart Hansen is here. Hi, you guys. Hello. Hi. Hi, Hart. Please uh, uh, adjust these so they're comfortable. Hi. Thank you for so being here. So this is like the cool version of wait, wait, don't tell me, right? <laughs> cool might be in quotation marks. Um, I'm going to uh, jump right in here, and um, we usually start with breaking in and that sort of thing, but what I'm actually curious about is what you guys are doing right now. Um, and Sarah, I'd like to start with you. Tell us where you are these days. Tell us about Grimm and how you came to be on this show because you've had, you know, the la none of the four shows you've been on seem to quite go together, although there is a method to the madness. Uh, do you want to talk about those transitions and uh, coming to where you are now? Sure. Uh, I think most people who start writing right from character and, you know, think about character, and I feel like plot is something that you learn, especially how to plot an hour's worth of television. And so... Having been on CSI was the strange – I mean, it was who offered me a job when I needed to get over the fence, and so you take it no matter who it is. But And then it happened to be a huge hit, so I stayed, and I developed the plot muscles. So the fact that I was on a procedural show for so long and know how to do that now is a learned skill set. I don't know that that was like a intuitive skill set. Um, so the character stuff is always the thing that, that, I'm gravitate, that I gravitate towards. Although I have learned that with hour-long television, when you just have characters and there's no sort of thing that brings it all together, you, run, you can run out of story really quickly and you sort of feel like you're 
treading in whipped cream, and there's nothing to kind of grab onto. Uh, so Grimm, I read the pilot and thought it was really good and had a good balance of, I mean, the, guy, the main guy's a cop, so it has the sort of murder element that you need to kind of go 100 episodes. But it also has this genre element, and you go home with him, you know his girlfriend, you, you, know, you see his house, and mm-hmm. so it had enough character stuff, too, that I thought it had a good balance. And so that's Has it been a... Uh a difficult transition for you or an easy transition for you from coming from a pretty much straight action cop show on Hawaii Five O to Grimm? Although I guess you did a, a couple things in the in between. Right. Well, I think you can write your way out of any problem, and that's what I do. Like when I'm on something that I feel like is pitching Not an home, STD. <laughs> I wouldn't and know, Hart. <laughs> How do you rid yourself? <laughs> um. He does write a show called Bones. Yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> what are fans of that show called? Bones. <laughs> <laughs> Bonesers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, give us an example of that, though, of writing yourself out of a problem, so either on, on the show or in the past. Well, so I was on CSI for nine years, and no one in their right mind would have hired me to write for Brothers and Sisters, so I wrote a a family sample, like a, an hour-long family dramedy that in you know, so that I could prove I could write characters so that somebody would... Meet with me. Gotcha. You know, so that's sort of what I mean. And then, like, yeah. yeah that makes sense. Um, and we'll, we'll go back to the beginnings and the secret origins in a minute. Uh, but, Jose, um, tell us about Terra Nova. We've heard a little bit about it from past panelists. Um, uh, really? Who's been here? Uh, I'd rather not say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, everything they said is a lie. Well, it seems like there are a lot of stories surrounding this show. You know, it, it seems sort of fraught. What was your experience? Keep doing that part. That's helping a lot. What was your experience on the show? Uh, you know, it was, it was pretty great. You can't really complain when you're writing about dinosaurs and time travel. Um, it's been tough because there are a lot of people who are involved in shaping the show. Uh, and usually you go on a show and it's a first season show and there is some involvement. But the showrunner gets to really push his vision forward. Uh, in our case, the showrunner wasn't the creator of the show, um, and the genesis of the project had, it's, you know, it, this is a show that was essentially created like a year and a half ago. Um, so our showrunner, Rene, inherited certain things and then tried to make it his own and then had a lot of different execs trying to say, well, can it be this? Can it be that? Can it be the other thing? So finding the identity of the show is something that we struggled with at the beginning. And we're about to hit our, uh, I think we're at about the mid-season point right now. Um, and I think we've really found our stride and really started to 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 get into the mythology of the show. And this tomorrow's show, 8 o'clock on Fox, <laughs> um, has a big mythological component and it's got sort of everything that in a perfect world we'd be able to afford every week in terms of we've got a big fucking dinosaur, we've got a big attack on the colony, we've got a big piece of mythology, a new character is introduced that you've been waiting to to hear about. Now, we can't burn through that amount of story every week, and we can't burn the colony every week, because <laughs> despite what Mr. Spielberg would like us to do, we can't afford to. Um but uh yeah it's def- there's definitely been a steep learning curve and i've been reading a lot online about the some of the criticisms of the show and you know a lot of it is fair a lot of it is you know we're figuring it out yeah um, what are some of those i'm curious about that cuz not all you know especially higher level writers will look at that stuff uh, i mean it's, i think thankfully 
um, the people that were afraid we weren't going to have enough dinosaurs have been silenced by this point <laughs> because there's a different dinosaur and in every single episode. Mm-hmm. And there's been pretty great dino on man carnage um, <laughs> as, as, as promised. I think the biggest complaint has been that uh, maybe the characters aren't quite uh, fully fleshed out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, we've had... F- Paul, help me. Five episodes? Um, so we're finding our way through who the, what the actors can do best, what we want them to be doing, and how to put them in situations where they butt heads with each other. Um, there was a great scene in Paul's episode this past Monday where the husband and wife have a big fight about uh, the fate of a criminal in, in the colony. And, and scenes like that really help to flesh out who the people are. And I think that's been the biggest complaint. And we hear it, and we don't disagree, and we want to 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 make the angsty teen less of a pain in the ass because mm-hmm. people seem to complain that, that he's too angsty. And we we are aware of the issues, and we're, we're definitely um, trying to, to ramp up to that big season finale that everybody wants. That's really interesting. I mean, it seems like your your room, your staff is getting pushed from all sides. You know, you have a lot of creative people. Yes. Uh, and plus the, the sides fans and then the top and the bottom. It's like the yeah. room in Cube where all the lasers are coming at the same time. So what, but what is the atmosphere in the room? Obviously, you guys all want to do good work. Uh, how do you deal with this day in and day out on well, a practical the, level? The windows don't open. <laughs> so smart, smart. They, they they actually do open, but we need a PA to come in with tools. <laughs> and so by that point, somebody's called the fire department, and it's just no good. Um, you know, we deal with it by working really long hours. Um, and the staff—it's the biggest fucking cliche in the world—but we all really get along. I got one of my guys right here, and I don't know where the others are, but they're fired tomorrow. <laughs> um, but, you know, we, we all really get along, and we go to dinner and drinks afterwards, and we commiserate afterwards, and we we go to parties at each other's house. And we, when we're up against it and we're all fucked, we're all fucked together. And it's like, don't whine at me. I'm in the same chair that you are. So it's it's a really good group, and, and all you can do is keep the train rolling. You know, you're going to have to shoot something. Um, and, uh, and That's what TV kind of comes down to, hasn't it? Yeah, you got to shoot something. You know, and they shoot the fucker. Yeah. That's what we used to say. And, and if you don't have, if I can't produce the pages, then someone else will, and I will help them when it's their turn, and, and vice versa. That's a good attitude. It kind of leads me to what I'm about to ask you, Hart, which is, are you running two shows right now? Yeah, but what is um, wrong with you? Uh, <laughs> I, you know, Shonda Rhimes is running what eight or something. Um, and uh, my shows, uh, it's going to be a total of uh, thirty episodes between the two of them, so it's not quite a full forty-four. Still. Emily, the lead of uh, Bones, went off to have a baby, and I could switch all my time to uh, the Finder, and then she'll come back, and we'll start shooting more episodes of Bones in December. But it's um, I'm uh, it's it's awful. It's it's <laughs> tell it's awful. tell us what your day to day is uh, in working on two shows because they did overlap a little bit, right? Yeah, yeah, they they over- overlapped up until uh, the end of September. So from the late spring to the end of September. Well, um, on Bones, I've got um, Stephen Nathan, another executive uh, producer on the show, who is a uh, uh, has been on the show since um, uh, 
the first season, uh, everything after the pilot. So he's, um, I lean on him really, really hard. Um, and the way we want to run our room is um, there's a co-executive producer who runs the room. I'm not in the room all that much. Um, and uh, Steven's in the room at Bones more than I am, but uh, Carla Kettner runs the room with a very, very stable group of writers that we've, we've been pretty stable for about three years now. The first year was a bloodbath of carnage and hell. Um, and, Let uh, me stop you right there. Yeah, yeah. Tell us about that. <laughs> well, uh, Bones, Bones... Uh, Bones, Bones. I we're on our third. Oh, did you, do you not want to talk about Bones? No, it's okay. It's I mean it's good to learn from. Um, it, it it's the show. <laughs> it's the show that um, uh, nobody wanted. I it, that is not self pitying. I promise you. But it's like Gail Berman ordered it and then turned over the network to Peter Liguori, who didn't like it, and then he turned it over to Kevin Riley, who I think would rather do the big uh, cool dinosaur show than. Than bones, which just keeps it's unkillable. It's um, it just won't die. Uh, but we were the last, the last script order, the last pilot picked up, the last series ordered. So what did I? What did? What show did I interview? What did I try to hire you for? Was it bones? It was bones. It was bones. Yeah, yeah. So we couldn't get a, a really really good people went to other things. <laughs> no, 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 no. Correction. You hired Stephen Williams instead of me. No, that's not true. That's what my agent told me. Oh, he lied. Right. Oh, my God. No, we tried to get you and couldn't get you. That fucker. My God. <laughs> I'm telling the truth, too. I'm, I'm glad this is finally coming This out. happens I all the time. I swear to God. This happens all the time. We've well, been Those... on a long time. <laughs> I this swear happens. to God. I went to Without a Trace the year I met on Bones, and the spot that I filled, <laughs> the spot that I filled was Stephen Williams' spot. Scott. Scott. Scott, Scott yeah. Williams' spot. spot who had left Trace to go on Bones. And I was like, God, the fucker, I'm filling his seat, and I should be at the other place. This happens all the time. Um, I have a really good Greg Daniels story. Same thing. Networks and studios and agencies scrape everything off on the writers. Everything. They never, they... Of course. That's, I mean, I'm, I'm so happy to hear that, to tell you the truth, because I was like, I thought I had a really good meeting. Why, why doesn't Hart like me? I made a hard run at you, a hard run at you, and then it was, no, no, he's gone to wherever you went. Without a trace. <laughs> I have about eight of these stories. Aren't I, you I, glad we have closure on this, I, You know, I, I really am. There's, can we call a few other people, because I have questions Absolutely. for them. <laughs> I, I, we'll do I, a special series with I, you. I'd like to talk to Damon Lindelof. I'd like to talk to... Um, uh, we'll talk uh, later. But yeah, uh, we'll make, make me a list. We'll do a special series. This one um, I didn't know about. Tell me, I'm glad, I'm glad awesome. we had this yeah. chat. So tell me about this first year. Where <laughs> <laughs> um, The first year was just... Starting, starting a series is just amongst the most difficult things to do. Just get a series up and running. You've got a million voices yelling at you. You're working with people you don't know well yet much of the time. And it's just really, really hard. And um, you, uh, something's got to give. I mean, I, I think on Bones we went through four DPs, two directing producers, and uh, almost the entire writing staff. Um, it changed between the in the first two years of Bones. It was just just a nightmare. Um, and I mean, you can say why, but um, uh, it, it, Bones has a weird tone, so that uh, some shows are easier to write than others. And um, uh, 
Bones it seemed to be hard because it was supposed to be funny. So the procedural writers maybe weren't funny, and the funny writers couldn't write procedural, mm-hmm. and uh, um, and everybody couldn't do. And really, I look at the first five or six episodes of Bones, and I think, what what did people see that they? I shouldn't say that. <laughs> it was obviously David and Emily. And, uh, well, well you, I mean, that goes along with uh, what's. Um... Gibbons? What's his name? Billy Gibbons. Billy Gibbons. That's the ah. point that I was like, I mean. Yeah, this is cool. me too. <laughs> me too. I cried a little bit when like I met Christmas him. Christmas episode. Yeah. Should we leave you guys alone for a little bit? <laughs> <laughs> Not everybody loves ZZ Top or knows who they are. <laughs> um, what, what did I ask you? Oh, uh, oh. anyway, so you're, you're in season seven now of Bones, yeah. and yeah. you're offloading a lot of the work to uh, Stephen Nathan. Co-Fies. And, I mean, it runs really, really well. Mm-hmm. It, it, runs, it runs very, very well. Uh, but then so, starting up this other series. Just really, really difficult. How um, so? Uh, what are some of the challenges you well, face? Well, um, you have to... Uh, well, I'm a showrunner, so I have different um, um, responsibilities. It's my job to figure out what the show is and um, and deliver it, uh, despite what networks and or studios might say. But if you completely and utterly defy them, then you're dead, or you lose support. It's a very, it's just a tricky, tricky. Uh, proposition getting a, a show up and running. Um, there's many, many missteps that can uh, be taken. Mm-hmm. New actors, new directors, new, uh, you know, uh, I, obviously if we'd just gone from Bones to Finder, I would have dragged my crew mm-hmm. over. The, the Bones crew is just an awesome crew, but we had to run at the same time, so I had, uh, you know, brand new uh, crew as well. So it's just, it just takes up a lot of time. It's difficult. Is the story breaking uh, process different? I mean, it's a, it's still a procedural show, right? But it's yeah. a different uh, it's yeah. a different animal. Well, obviously. you know, we we have a procedural in every episode. The guy finds things. That's mm-hmm. why it's called the Finder. It's, <laughs> it's really sophisticated. Watch out, Matthew what Weiner. Kind of things? Um, like people, like my keys or like, or like my yeah, iPhone like or? yeah. Like I lost a lipstick earlier. Well, today. Well, I'm just curious. You know, well, you know, the network's idea is that there's a child buried alive that Walter has to find. Uh, my ideas are more things like. Um, a missing chord from a song or, um, you know, a meal. Our second episode, Josh Friedman wrote, and it was like this guy was trying to recreate a meal. Now, that led into gangsters, and I, mm-hmm. I, I like kind of tumbling into the nefarious underworld, uh, not starting out in the nefarious underworld, but we try to think of the weirdest things that someone could find and and look for those things. But oh. as you can imagine, sometimes the network wants, go find a serial killer. It's like, uh. <laughs> Makes okay, but not until fun. Act Four. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's talk about this uh, startup of a show thing because you have been on a couple of shows in their first year. Uh, yeah, three shows in their wow. first year. Uh, and I'm curious, and we've actually never talked about this, but you were on CSI from the very beginning. Yes. Um, <laughs> as a writer's assistant, right? Yes. Uh, what was CSI like before anyone knew what CSI is? We can edit later if you want. It was crazy. <laughs> Um, I feel comfortable, I think, saying these stories out loud because they're sort of known now. Um, you know you never get the full truth, right? Oh, I, I'll give you, <laughs> it was 15 like, years ago. A lot of it. 12, yeah. So Anthony Zyker created CSI, and he was barely 30. 
and like asshole a year <laughs> a year before had been driving a tram in Las Vegas that went from like the Bellagio to the castle what the Excalibur what's the castle yeah, anyway yeah. yeah so that was his job like <laughs> he was driving a tram and I, I don't know if any of you have ever had the pleasure of meeting Anthony but he's crazy like like in the best way like he he's if you ever have anything you need to pitch pay him to pitch it for you because the 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 i don't know if the story is true but the sort of apocryphal story about csi is that les moonbass or whoever heard the pitch said i don't know what the fuck that was but i if our audience feels the way i feel right now buy it like i feel like i've been run over by a truck like it just it was because he's so like he, I'm trying to describe him. Have you, have you ever met? Have you guys ever met him? He's big. He has tattoos. He's dramatic. And yeah, he's bald, and he's like he's. Like he acts that, everything out. Yeah, and yeah. he sort of like stands up and jumps around, and like he's he's nuts. And so, Nina Tassler's about your size. Yeah, she's teeny. Yeah, she's so. teeny, and gets very excited very yeah. easily. Yeah. It's like, oh, I love it! Like that's yeah. kind of Nina's yeah, thing. So you perfect, have these two uh, yeah. people who sort of yeah. And he knocked over the coffee table yeah. and moved her desk and yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, he's theatrical. I mean, he's nuts. So you had you, but you really, you're asking how CSI was. So you have this guy who's who came to CSI. He had an agent, a manager, a lawyer, a publicist. Of like, like he had this entire group of people who I'm sure sort of rightfully so, we're saying, like, you're the most amazing thing, you're terrific, you're great. And then he got to the show, and Carol Mendelson and Ann Donahue, who had been doing television for, I don't know, probably 20 years each, were actually running the show. And I don't, I don't know if anyone ever explained to Anthony that, like, he created it, but he wasn't running it, which is, as you note, is a, is a distinction worth making. Yeah. Like, <laughs> If you have a choice to work on a show that is being run by the creator versus one that is not being run by the creator, but the creator's still there and someone has been jetted in, <laughs> pick the one that that's run by the creator, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, of course. Because there's going to be... It was dramatic. Yeah. I mean, it was so dramatic. Every, I felt like every day I thought that either... People quit. Like, there was a walkout at one point. In that first season? yeah. I won't say who, but it was the greatest line of all time. Get your diaper bag. We're going to leave this baby to run the show by himself. (laughs) (laughs) It was amazing. It was amazing. And then, okay, but so the the flip side is all of the assistants and the lower levels and all the people are like, Jobs. Everything's going to shit. Like, and the other thing is, you was know, this before the show had started airing. Okay, too? so this is all before it aired because yeah. we were a Touchstone show. Touchstone sold us to a Canadian film company called Alliance Atlantis. The Never a good sign in the world. Yes, but the luckiest people in the world. But those they won of, the I mean, lottery. I still they won have. I have Touchstone pay stubs from when the CSI was a Touchstone show, and. It, it is very nerve-wracking that you finally get your job, you get your break, everybody's there gathered together, and it's like, oh, the studio sold the show. And you're like, oh. And then it's, CBS is putting you on Fridays at 9. And you're like, oh. It's all just worse. And, and you have to remember at this time, I mean, CBS now gets big numbers, but it was the Matlock Network. Like, your grandparents watched CBS and nobody else. So you already knew you were sort of at an old-timey network, and you were on Friday nights at 9 o'clock in, in, in like, Seniorville. And you were like, what are we doing? At least you knew where your like, audience was. 
Sort of. It's Friday but, night, but, they were home. They were they were, but were they watching something that like went inside the body and had lots yeah. of gore? And like, it was, I don't. It was a hip show at the time. Well, it was very. It different. was Anthony. It was very yeah. Vegas and like crazy and like frenetic. It was a sort of an ADD pace for a senior audience. So it was really nervous. <laughs> so for those of you that are listening to this on the podcast and not here to see, Sarah is going apeshit with her arms and gesticulating and just like, yeah, like Grover kind of. <laughs> I prefer Elmo. <laughs> yeah, we did. <laughs> anyway, so it was incredibly stressful, and then we aired, and everything changed. I mean, I think people thought they were on a, do- a dog, like a loser. You know, like everyone was sort of like, all right, I'll park it here for a few months and, you know, not be unemployed and see what happens. Or... I mean, I, I won't say people believed in the show, but in, a, in no one knew what it was going to be. And all this stuff, like, who cares about fibers and DNA and, like, really macro shots of little things. It all, it all felt sort of, is it going to be boring, I think, was the, was the, was people were concerned. And then a few things happened. We aired really big on Friday night, and then we got Survivor as a lead-in. And that was another thing that was like, who knows this crazy show that failed in England and puts people on an island and, you know, like, the Hunger Games. Let's try it. You know, like, I don't... So it was so crazy that I... And then it was this incredible marriage of things that came together, and then the show was this massive hit, and... And what happened in the room once the show was a hit? Did things get easier? Did they get more difficult? I think they got easier because people started leaving us alone. It was a weird thing because we almost got left alone at the beginning because no who cares. gives a shit? Like, you know, another, who, what's going to happen to this show? No one, you know, it's not worth enough attention. And then we were huge and they were like, well, I guess they know what they're doing. So keep doing that. So it was an interesting thing of, I mean, Bruckheimer had a lot to his, Jonathan Littman, who worked at Bruckheimer was, was there a lot of sort of managing things both before and after. So it, 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 I think easier. I think once you're a hit, things get easier. I don't know how you guys feel, but I, I think, there's... It took us four years to become a hit, so it kind of... Is that right? Oh, God, yeah. Which seems like huh. it's kind of how it is now. Like, if you're not a hit right out of the gate, but you're lucky enough to stay on for yeah. four or five years... Yeah, look at NCIS. You, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, people start watching. We got Josh Berman, you know. Yes, I know. Yeah. I, is he still there? <laughs> no. No, no okay. he's now... He's doing Drop Dead Diva. Diva and, right. and he's here next week, things. everyone. Yeah. <laughs> we used to tease uh, him. He'd come up with a clue, and he'd say, and then we'll put the blood into this machine... And someone's address will come out. <laughs> and we'd say, we're not CSI. We do real science here. And he'd get really mad to ask him about it. Next okay. Time. <laughs> uh, I have one more follow-up, kind of a practical question okay. uh, about CSI. Um, so the show becomes massively successful. And how do you, as a writer's assistant, make yourself indispensable in that room? What is the best thing I'm a writer's assistant? I'm going with enthusiasm. <laughs> <laughs> well, you personally, sure. I have more than one speed heart. But, <laughs> um, but what can a writer's assistant well, do? Okay, so it was an interesting thing because because the show. I mean, I, I'm not. I don't know if I'm exactly expressing how low key and low everything was when we like. So we weren't. We were Touchstone show, then Touchstone Soda. So we were in Valencia. <laughs> Does anyone know where that is? Uh, it's 32 miles north on the 405. Anyway, so so we were in these weird stages with that like leaked and like it just was all very you you didn't 
it wasn't like being on a cool show in the middle of Hollywood where you're like on the Paramount lot and you're like, yeah, what's up, Johnny Depp? Like, it didn't, there was no, you, you drove to the suburbia and like, you know, went to Target on your way home. Like, it was very lucky. So anyway, the, but the whole point is, so Anne, Anthony, and Carol were the three EPs doing the, you know, show running tasks. And then it was Andrew Lipsitz, Josh Berman, and Eli Talbert, and me. So it was three, like, executive story editors. I mean, I don't know what their titles were at the time. Co-producers, executives, so like mid-level writers and me. And so what I was told by, you know, people who gave me advice who helped me get the job was do not speak. As a writer's assistant, do not speak. So I took my laptop and sat there and just typed. And CSI, the the writer's assistant does the outlines. So you, the writer, of you know, redoes it and like tidies it up. But your job is to basically take – you know, 10 hours of conversation every day throughout the week and just keep finding. Does it go up on finding. a board or just is it in They the- do put it up on a board, but what's on the board is is pretty loose compared to what they like in the document. You know, our, our outlines were 15 pages. Yeah. So, so you, you know, you're sort of like writing a paragraph for every scene with the slug line of like interior house and then what happens. And so you're constantly trying to see what the show is. And eventually – these three writers in this room alone. I mean, because, you know, then that, there was, we had to recast somebody. Like, Georgia Fox was not in the pilot. and so, There was just, like, all this drama that the three EPs were handling. So it was me and these three young guys. And, and eventually they got stuck, and they were like, what do you think? And I was like, well, maybe we could make it a <laughs> Like, I, I just, like, I said, like, one clue idea. And they were like, talk more. And I was like, okay. Like, no one knew what we were doing. And, and I mean, and, okay, so the other story is, like, like, we would be sitting there breaking one story. And then Anthony would run in the room from somewhere else and go, an old lady walks into a bank holding a basketball that's really a bomb. Go! And then run out of the room. And then... And we would be like, are we supposed to finish the one we just did? Are we supposed to do the basketball bomb? There has never been a CSI episode with a basketball bomb lady, but not because Anthony didn't try. Um, over and over. The old lady with the... And so... So... Um, season 13. Uh, so there, it was chaos all the time. And so, like, you know, anybody who could help and figure it out, because then again, you have all these writers who are going like, so we'll interrogate them. No, it's a crime scene investigator show. It's science and clues. People lie. Evidence doesn't. You know, so you had this whole new way. Like even people who were experienced cop TV writers were were like stuck. So it was kind of the wild west, and no one knew what they were doing. So I knew as much or as little as anybody else. And so eventually, I got to participate in the room. And I was incredibly well mentored and they were really kind to me and gave me a lot of, you know, like, can you help me with this? And can you, and it was really nice. And then I wrote probably, I mean, I got my first script in the middle of season three. So I'd probably written 60 outlines for the show. So it was like learning, you know, it's like you're an architect and you're just blueprint, 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 blueprint. And then someone's like, okay, design a house. And you're like, okay, I I know how to do this because I... So that was really helpful, and so yeah, and does that answer interesting? Your yeah, okay. absolutely. And we'll we'll pick up there uh, when we come back around. But she's Jose. fun. <laughs> I would hire her. She's can, fun. Can we go see, we'll the see the how audience? Does. <laughs> Just watch the Sarah show. Uh, no, it's your turn. Uh, where do you come from? What's your what's your Puerto backstory? Rico, San Juan. Thank yeah, you very much. Really? What is what is your Seems backstory? Like in Spanish, uh, Jose. It is not a parlor trick, señor. <laughs> 
it is my native language. You insult my culture with that question. <laughs> What's your background as a writer? When did you know this is a thing I'd like to do for a living? Uh, what is your, you know, what are your influences? Do you in really TV? want to know, like when? Like, yeah, I'm curious. Uh, the first time I knew I wanted to be a writer was when I was writing modules for my friends uh, during Dungeons and Dragons campaigns. <laughs> oh, so yeah. I You're was in the like, right room. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, I don't know, 10, 11, 12, mm-hmm. and I would be ripping off, you know, Raiders or Superman or Terminator <laughs> or whatever I could. There was a rolling ball in every one of those adventures. <laughs> um, but so I did that, and then my brother went off to college, and he started writing prose, and I'm like, well, if my brother can do it, I can do it. So I started doing that and stumbled into screenwriting, uh, wrote a, a Next Generation spec that Michael Piller read, and that brought me out here with the TV Academy internship. How did, oh, okay. So how, is that how that got into his hands? Yeah. Was I, apl- I applied through okay. the TV Academy. They have a summer internship every summer. That's fantastic. And I know a lot of people, uh, w- one of my bosses right now, Brown and Braga, was the intern in 1990. Oh, yeah. um, and uh, so it's... A great place to start if you're just coming out of school. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely look up. I think it's atas.org, ta- Academy of Television Arts and Sciences, or emmys.org. You can find it. Summer mm-hmm. internship, TV. But it's still going on, and yeah. these guys can all yeah. participate. That's great. Um, okay, so you got this internship, and then you were thrust into this world. Then I was thrust <laughs> into assistant dumb, and I worked at Blockbuster, and I had a lot of shitty jobs. <laughs> and ultimately, I got um, completely... Coincidentally, I was looking for assistant work when Howard Gordon was leaving Mm -hmm. X-Files. And I sent out two resumes, one to Maggie Murphy at David Kelly's company uh, and one to Howard who was just – he'd started a a development deal at 20th. Did you have any connection to him or you just cold sent them? I had uh, pitched to X-Files when I was 21. My next generation spec got into the hands of a geeky Fox exec by the name of Richard Mayer who loved Star Trek, loved my script. We sat down. I just raved about X-Files. And he was like, well, we have this minority writers training program thing. Why don't you go meet with them? Um, and again, it was like my meeting with Hart. I walked out of there going, I got the fucking gig. Uh, and again, it broke you my heart. <laughs> um, and so I didn't get that, but I met Howard. Um, and so in the trades, when I saw he's looking for... You know, he's got a new deal. He's going to be leaving X-Files. I'm like, well, maybe he'll be looking for an assistant. And it literally, it was one of two resumes I sent because I didn't know enough to just cover the town with resumes. Uh, and I got it. And I spent three years on his desk, learned everything about re- developing, writing a pilot, getting it picked up, casting it, producing it. Uh, what was he working on at the time? It was a, We worked on Buffy and Angel, mm-hmm. and in the middle of that was this show called Strange World, um, which was on ABC for eight days. <laughs> we, we produced 13 episodes, but we premiered on a Monday. Uh, the pilot was on a Monday. Then our first regular episode was on a Tuesday. On Tuesday morning, we get a call from an ABC exec who shall remain nameless, nameless uh, wishing us luck on our premiere tonight. It's like, we premiered last night. Like, no, 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 but your regular time slot premiere, that's what I meant, click. Um, and so we aired that Tuesday and the following Tuesday were canceled Wednesday. Uh, but we did 13, and that was actually, I did one of the 13, and I co-wrote one with uh, Manny Cotto, and that, and Howard helped me get an agent. And was and that, that the first produced script you had done? Yes, which never aired in the U.S. until about, like, five years ago. It was airing, like, in... 
Ireland. Like I, w- I was finding it online. Like people were watching it. It was it playing like a motherfucker in Ireland. Um, but uh, my first episode of Dark Angel aired here before that ever did. Yeah. Um, but so from that and from getting an agent, I got my first staff gig on Dark Angel. Um, so I want to talk just very briefly about those first couple of uh, scripts that you did. Um, the Dark Angel that was eventually produced and the Strange, strange World. Strange, strange World, yeah. Strange world. Was it just by being you know, in the room or being as part of the process that you learned how to write this thing? Uh, what had you written in the interim between you know, that initial Star Trek and then... I had things? like seven or eight specs. I had a couple of Star Treks. I had... A couple of X Files. I had an Outer Limits. Um, I forget what else, but they were all. I came down with an Outer Limits. You did one, didn't I you? Did, yeah, yeah. You um, came down with one. Well, I mean, from a, from Canada. Yeah. From Canada, exactly. Uh, yeah, no, I, I had uh, I had a really good meeting over there, and they had like an open door. Brad, Brad Wright and those guys. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, so I pitched, I I pitched the thing that, uh, that they didn't buy, but that I really liked. And so I wrote that and it was a spec and, but I don't think many people, uh, I don't, I didn't get any traction on that. Did you do any original specs in this time? No, I was specking only existing TV shows. Which, I mean, at the time. Back at, yeah, back in my day, that's what you were supposed to do. You were supposed to, and then I did a law and order spec, which years later came in very, very handy. Um, yeah, I wondered about that because I mean, you're naming all of these heavy sci-fi shows, and that's obviously what you are into. Yeah, um, was there a call for you to do something a little bit outside of that, maybe a little more, or get you staffed somewhere more? Well, mainstream? after Firefly, I was afraid that um, I was going to get sort of ghettoized into yeah. the into the first run syndicated or, or cable, mm-hmm. or just I'd seen friends who had somewhat successful careers in network on sci-fi shows and then couldn't get quote unquote legitimate work um, on, on the network. So I was a big fan of the mothership law and order. So I figured I'm going to write this and have it just to show that I can do two sides of the same thing. And when Firefly uh, was canceled, Patrick Harbinson, long story here, who had been on the staff of dark angels season one had moved on to law and order SVU he recommended me to the showrunner, uh, who then had another co-EP read that Law & Order spec, so he never read me. He hired me because John Green and Patrick Harbinson said, this guy is smart, good, he can do the job, hire him. He's like, yeah, right. Wow. And oftentimes that's what it takes, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, those relationships go a long way, but also, obviously, you had the talent to back it up. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not good enough to get on Bowman's, but still. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you brought it on yourself. <laughs> uh, Hart, tell us about your background, because there are extensive credits, both in Canadian and American TV. Um, but when did you begin to As see he takes yourself? off his glasses and rubs his eyes in pain. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to think of the short version that won't bore people. Um, <clears throat> I, was, um, I was an English professor um, up at the University of British Columbia, and uh, trying to uh, and writing scripts for Canadian TV at the same time. Be- Canada is a little simpler and and a little harder um, because um, it's a very small market. But you know exactly where what you have to do with your scripts or your pitches. You, there's so few opportunities that you just you can count on two hands where your efforts should go. 
Um, and um, actually, before I was an English professor, I'd sold a couple of, um, of there's a long-running show in Canada called The Beachcombers, and um, they went for 22 years about a guy who, it's about a guy, one, the bad guy had a jet boat and could get one log fast, and the good guy had a tugboat and could get, get a lot of logs slowly, and they salvaged logs. This is meaningful in Canada. Um, so it was a tortoise and the hare. It ran for 22 years. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. I'm going to pitch that next Sunday week. Night. That's awesome. When I, came, when I came down to the States, people were uh, – one of the young uh, executives I met with was Josh Berman. Yeah. Which, by the way, I walked into his office, and this is what I said to him. Oh, for Christ's sake, how old are you? Because <laughs> Josh is five foot three, looks about 12, and he's wearing his dad's jacket. If you go in to meet a, an executive, don't say, oh, for Christ's sake, how old are you? Um, I forgot where I was in the store. Oh, he, the, the, everybody brought up the, the beachcombers and asked about it. <clears throat> but, um, so, and also, most uh, television in Canada is um, on the public tit. teat. <laughs> um, so they have to look at um, submissions. So there's a place, the CBC, you just send in your submissions, and there was a guy whose job it was, a woman whose job it was to read stuff and pass it on. So it, it was all very clear. And um, so I, I got in that way. Um, the reason I, I, I was going to be a very, very, very serious novelist, like not even a pulp novelist. I intended to be an English teacher and write novels, those kind of novels. And, um, um, but my wife got pregnant. Um, I was there. And uh, <laughs> so I had to make money. So that's why I went into script writing. And then... I, I created. I, I was a very ser- uh, wrote quite bleak stuff in Canada, um, and then uh, is this fast enough? Um, and then uh, I, I created a show up there called Traders, which was set in an investment bank. Don't create a show set in an investment <laughs> bank. Um, although it did help me to understand uh, understand credit default swaps. So, <laughs> bonus there. Um, I, I know why the economy crashed. Oh, yeah, TV writing. Um, uh, and uh, we won a bunch of Canadian Emmys uh, for that show. And I, I was going up to get one, our fourth or something. And we had a million viewers. Oh, and four Canadian Emmys equals yeah. one American Emmy. Uh, no. No, it's more like 10 to 1, just like the population. 10 to 1. Um, uh, and we were up against, um, I think, ER. My, the show Traders was up against ER, and ER in Canada was getting a third of the population watching it, like 8 million people or something, and, and my show was getting 1.2 million, I remember, and I was just going, really? More Canadians are watching American? Anyway, it's a long way of saying a, uh, an American uh, uh, agent came uh, around and said, would you be interested in running what you were talking about? One of the, in other words, be the cardboard executive producer on an American syndicated show that uh, they could get, then get, if I was an executive producer, they could get funding and tax breaks. And I said, no, and I was, you know, I was coming up on 40. And, um, and uh, I said, no, I had no interest in that, but it might be fun to go down to L.A., <laughs> and see if I could make it in the big leagues. And the agent, Matt Solo at ICM, now at WME, and he said, well, you're old and kind of a soft writer. I don't know if you're going oh <laughs> to make He's it. He's still your agent. I love him. I, <laughs> he tells me the truth. And, and you know, that's hard to come by. Yeah. As we know. Yes. yes. Um, we just discovered. Yeah, I knew it. Um, not that, but I, they, anyway. That's very interesting. So uh, how was that transition for you? It was hilarious because <laughs> I was 
I was, and I say this without, uh, really, they said the David Kelly of Canada. (laughs) (laughs) I went to the University of Toronto, which called itself the Harvard of Canada, but no one at our Harvard ever says, hey, we're the University of Toronto of the United States. (laughs) You know, it's not. Um, And I wasn't. But um, I was at least a young, uh, I was considered young up there. And I came down here and immediately I was just the oldest guy in every room. It was, it was really funny. And what I brought was a, um, a uh, 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 Ally McBeal uh, spec. I had to write a spec script. I'd put all these uh, Geminis and created two shows in Canada. And and so were yeah. you going on staffing meetings? You were I was going on around? staffing meetings. What yes. was that like for you? Um, it so was crazy. It was so exciting um, <laughs> and funny, uh, mostly funny. But uh, in, like I said, in Canada, there's only 10 people to go see. And down here, it seemed like, wow. It's, I, there were all these networks and studios. I didn't understand the difference between a studio and network because we don't have studios. We have production companies and production companies and showrunners. And I, I did about f- five meetings a day for... Three weeks, twice, and I just I felt like I met everybody in town. One of them was Josh. When I said, "How old are you anyway?" Not a good beginning. Um, and with this, um, uh, and and I got I got some nice I got some uh, stuff at um, uh, Josh Josh Whedon's uh, Buffy and Angel and uh, um, and Chris Carter. No, that was later. Chris Carter. Uh, that's a different story. What, out of curiosity, what level were you meeting at? I was I was meeting at story editor or produce, co-producer. Even though you'd been a showrunner. Yeah, it, it was Canadian. So I mean, I I, I understood that, and it was kind of it was kind of fun. Uh, and it, the same agent had said to me, "Look, you're old." Uh, he kept saying that, um, <laughs> and um, and he said, "If you're not a co-executive producer by the time you're forty, which was about two months away." <laughs> Um, oh you're, you're not going to get more work after this. And I, I thought, America's incredible, man. Like, wow, it's just like, wow, this is not like, uh, you know, Canadian TV. Well, we'll make a show. Yeah. About uh, logs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Something we'll riveting like logs. Um, and uh, to make a, very, a long story short, I met with Rob Thomas, who is um, uh, the showrunner of Cupid. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was, he looked another guy, he was six foot four and 240 pounds of American football player, uh, but he still looked like a teenager to me. And um, he just, deci- for some reason, he decided to hire me. And listen to this, Goldfinger. Tell me. Um, um, it was one of those situations where the network, ABC and Sony, put in, parachuted in showrunners over Rob because he'd only been on. Dawson's Creek, and he got fired from that. Yeah, I think he talked about this when he was here, which was like the fifth podcast or something. Yeah, he's very entertaining. Yeah. I was reflecting on me, not you. Um, And and it was, I'm the luckiest man in the world, the luckiest man in the world. They had a huge fight, um, the parachuted in showrunners and Rob. Um, and I was having, having fun being, I believe, a co-producer level, the old guy in the corner um, who wrote stuff. Uh, and, um, and all of a sudden, Rob needed a lot of help very quickly. And he knew me by then. And I was a, I was a showrunner. And um, so I was a co-executive producer by Christmas. And, um, <laughs> you, you just can't. And then I wrote the final episode of Cupid, and it was canceled, and that was that. Um, uh, but I was, I was here. I love that I was, show. Uh, yeah. Oh, it was a I good show. It. It's so good. Canceled with 18 million viewers. Oh. What? Yeah. Oh my God. That's really old. Rob, yeah, Rob unthinkable was like today. 26 at the time. Rob too, right? was a beardless Ute. 
Um, one, just a brief follow-up. Uh, did the rooms work any differently? Uh, the American series, especially those first few that you were on. No, nothing was Canadian different. Um, really? I was really, really shocked. What was different was the degree of, um, as a showrunner in Canada, they, they almost literally give you a briefcase full of money. Mm -hmm. And they say, here's your money. You need to give us 21 episodes. Mm -hmm. There's no more money. And you have to give us 21 episodes. So... And then they kind of leave you alone, and at the end, if the briefcase is empty and you've given them 21 episodes, <laughs> then you get to maybe do another um, year. Yeah. There's much less interference. Mm -hmm. the, the amount of interference here was really surprising, like really surprising. Uh, in the first year of Bones, once Stephen Nathan and I were listening to Network Notes, and I, I really I pulled out my penis and hit the phone with it. <laughs> Um, I just could, I couldn't believe it. And Stephen thought that was really funny until it was his phone. <laughs> so all of a sudden he was laughing and laughing, and then it was like, oh, that's, that's my, I need a baby wipe. Um, uh, While we're on the subject of, of notes, <laughs> um, what were some of those insane notes coming from studio or production or whomever? And I'll, you know, we'll go down the line, but while we're talking about bones. Well, I, I, you know, my favorite note was from the network, was from a network executive who said, you can get, you can use oneers. We don't mind if you use oneers, but you've got to get coverage. What? Um, that was an actual note. And it's like, oh my God. And it, it, the, the pickle is then, do you educate the, um, um, the, uh, the executive and thus earn their un, unending enmity? Or do you just let it go by? And uh, it was, it was, what it was do you do like outside that. of you know slapping the phone? Once, uh, once every two years, I have a huge, huge fight with them. Otherwise, my 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 code is my my slogan is I will give them everything that doesn't hurt the show. So even if it's um, six of one, half dozen of the other, even if their idea doesn't improve the show but it doesn't hurt it, I'll put in the time and take their idea. Uh, but then you've got to. What's your phrase for no? I always like people, they, they, they don't say no, but everyone has a phrase. You're good. Um, my, my, the one that worked for a long time for me would be this. I just can't do that. As though it was, as though it was impossible, you know? And as hurting like, you. I'd, I'm sorry, I, I can't do it. I'm sorry. And sometimes they feel sorry for me. And, uh, nice. Okay. But, you know, nothing works forever. Okay. Sarah, what's your phrase for no? Well, the one I learned is, and this, I haven't found mine yet, but the one I learned was, we will take a look at that. That's the one. That's <laughs> the one I use that all the time. That's a right. maybe. Yeah, no, yeah, usually in but the world I've been in, it's no. Because you're on a conference call, <laughs> yeah. you go, yes, we'll take a look at that. And you look at everyone and go. Yeah, yeah <laughs> right, right. right. Um, Let's, uh, let's move to Jose for a minute and talk about these notes. I'm curious particularly about Firefly. Uh, what was the state of either studio or network uh, interference on that show? Um, Joss kept us pretty protected mm -hmm. from all that. Joss and Tim really um, bore almost all the brunt. And really? to Joss's credit, but probably to the show's detriment, he mostly just said, fuck you, I'm doing what I want to do. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why you have the show that you have, but that's why you only have 15 episodes. <laughs> um, because he, you know, when we got there, it was kind of the opposite of your CSI story. 
we felt like we were blessed. I mean, we were working for Joss on a network that had basically given him carte blanche to do whatever he wanted. The guy was a hit maker. He was beloved by the network and the studio and everybody. We, you know, from the minute we got there, we all felt like we were working on something special and cool and interesting and different and artistic and you know there's a spaceship with cows in it and there's <laughs> six guns and people speak unsubtitled chinese it's like fuck yeah We're, we are so golden and to steal your phrase and then we aired um and they didn't get it the 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 network and the studio from day one did not understand why there were cows on a ship and why people were speaking Chinese and how do we market the show and the minute I personally knew we were dead was uh, they showed a promo for us during the World Series uh, and the the narrator goes from the creator of Buffy the Vampire Slayer mistake number one America doesn't know uh, comes a quirky new drama oh no <laughs> the minute they say quirky you're fucked yeah. um, and so that's what we were, I guess. We were a weird little science fiction show. Um, such but, a good um, show, though. Yeah. Uh, such a good show. I don't understand it not finding an audience or Freaks and Geeks. I do not yeah. understand that. My wife was on Freaks and Geeks as I was on Firefly. Uh, um, and we were both Were you guys like, worried about insurance? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, I mean, both of us were looking at what the work that sure. we had to do and going – Fuck me! How how are you supposed to to get ahead in this town? And and no offense, but I remember reading the CSI script and going, the at two cliffhanger is a guy looking at a shoe. <laughs> I'm sh kicking a, a guy through lace. an engine. A shoelace. A shoelace. <laughs> My show has a guy kicking an eye in a spaceship engine. I win, and 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 no, you won. Um, but uh, but in terms most shows that go away like that, most shows, yeah. most of the time when people are complaining, oh, that was such a good America wasn't ready. I think, ah, fuck, it wasn't that good. <laughs> it wasn't that good. But those two shows, just like you, it makes you despair. Yeah, I did. Put me in therapy for the first time. Yeah, I yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, but yes. But okay, now I get the shoulder up from the side. Um, but uh, to answer your question, uh, notes on Firefly were not. Um, were usually given lip service more than uh, more than anything else. the The first episode that I did, which was a fairly science fictiony episode, was a result of them going. I thought this was a science fiction show. Give us a science fiction episode, uh, and I had written Star Trek and I had written Dark Angel, so it was like, okay, you are the quote unquote hardcore sci fi guy. You're going to do... Yeah, what did that mean to you or to the room when you're given that kind of note? And and you guys are looking to meet that kind of note, too, which, yeah, which is interesting. Well, I mean, f f we were all sci-fi guys, so it was like, we'll give them a sci-fi show. And there's a spaceship in every episode. And it's exactly, a sci-fi yeah. show. Um, so how and, do you make it more sci-fi? Well, how did you read Sonic that? rifles. Laser beams! <laughs> yeah. No, literally. Like Sonic, you know, rifles. Sonic Rifles. <laughs> you thought that was a joke? No. Sonic Rifles, which we still have on Terra Nova. The technology has not really uh, changed very much. Um, but, uh, but, I mean, the story that wound up being that episode is probably my favorite episode of mine that I've had produced. So the minute we started talking about what the which, story which was, was, it? What was it? It was called uh, Ariel. It's the one where they break into the hospital. 
And Jane betrays yeah, the baby. crew, and then yeah. Mal has him in the airlock, and is going to. I don't understand why that show is not still on the air. Um, but so I getting to write the airlock scene, the famous airlock scene, um, it was fucking fantastic, and. It, it, so, no, I, I was thrilled. There's no episode, really, that came out of Firefly that came out of a, of a bad place, that came out of, well, we got to bend over and take it because the network's making us do that. On Dark Angel, that's a different story. That was going to be my next question. Um, because Dark Angel, even though it was run by one of the creators, the story of the inception of Dark Angel is this. Uh, Chick Egley... Uh, was and is friends with Jim Cameron. They came up together in the Corman camp. Um, and so Jim wanted to do TV after Titanic, and Chick was like, well, hey, Jim, remember me? <laughs> um, and they were buddies, and so they got together and they figured out, let's do, let's do a show together. Now, Chick, I don't know if anybody knows uh, Chick Egley. He is... He's very into hip hop and sort of the urban setting and he's he wrote for the shield. He's very much into that kind of vibe. He is a white man from Connecticut who drives a silver Porsche with vanity plates that say I eat. Um, <laughs> Anthony drives a silver Porsche with a license plate that says Creator. Nice. <laughs> I think they should be friends. They should. <laughs> um, I don't so have vanity plates. <laughs> no, like they're both like, You will. Down with so yeah, and 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 uh, but he's a great guy. And he gave me my first shot. I, I think Chick would sort of laugh at the, maybe not. Um, but anyway, Chick and Jim met to, to figure out how to do a show, and so Chick has come up with a bunch of these ideas that he's going to run by Jim, and he pitches him um, this idea, and he says, "What I want to do is I want to do a show about an uh, a bicycle bicycle messenger service." in an urban setting and all our characters are, you know, different uh, messengers with different problems and relationships, but it's all sort of, you know, fucked up inner or urban Seattle bike messenger service. And Jim goes, great. Can one of them be transgenic? And she goes, great. What's transgenic? <laughs> Not a joke. <laughs> and that's what Dark Angel was in a dystopian Seattle uh, where nobody has money or computers or bread or gasoline, there's a messenger service, um, and one of the messengers what is did they deliver is, is stuff. Bad news. <laughs> I've got bad news. Uh, and and one of the messengers is a genetically engineered super soldier. Super soldier. soldier. Jessica Alba was right, right. magic. Um, and, uh, she could dive off buildings. And she did. Yeah. Um, and um, so we had that show that was created by two people with a very different vision. And the staff, you know, had different visions for what the show should be. I wanted to write the show about the genetically engineered super soldier. And Chick and some of the other upper level writers who knew that their job was to serve as the showrunner were like, okay, we'll embrace it. We'll do the, the jam pony stories where, you know, the, the, uh, 
drug lords uh, art gets confused with the architectural plans and then they beat up a messenger and we have to go take down the drug lord and we have to use our genetically engineered super soldier undercover going in. <laughs> so yeah, so we, we did a season of that and it was completely schizophrenic and the network was going, what the fuck is this show? And people were going, it's this. And they're going, no, we want that. And then season two, uh, they basically said, we're going to pick up season two if you make it Buffy. Uh, so we want a monster of the week. And so the show went from being the bike messenger service show with the genetically engineered super soldier to Buffy. And how'd that work out? We got what happened? (laughs) Uh, we, we did a really mediocre season two and got canceled. Did you guys know it was mediocre as you were doing it? Yes. Really? <laughs> was it? I mean, were you just kind of all resigned to doing this thing? What, you know, we were. We. I think. I don't think you can do the job really thinking. I'm just writing shit, and I'm just gonna get. You, you have to invest in mm-hmm. in the work to some degree. So, you know, I myself, I always felt disappointed that we weren't doing stories that were being a huge Buffy fan. If we're gonna do Buffy, let's embrace what's really good about Buffy and let's put these characters through an emotional ringer mm-hmm. and do the things that the audience isn't expecting. Fine, you can have the character who's suffering be a dog face boy who's in love with a blind girl because the blind girl can't see what he looks <laughs> like. Um that's sweet. <clears throat> sure. Um but in that story you find a way of of really breaking the audience's heart. And we actually did make um lemonade with with that batch of lemons but there was a lot of resistance to making it uh to making it what really made buffy buffy mm-hmm. and it, it's the network knew that buffy was popular they didn't understand why they thought it was the tone monster of the week yeah. you know creature of the week and cool pretty girl who kicks ass uh that's the magic formula mm-hmm. so give us that magic formula and we did and we they they didn't really allow us to to get deep into the characters and it was inevitable inevitable I, 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 yeah well i think that that's a, it, it happens a lot like i just i feel like that's what i was you know everyone was trying to jump on the mad men bandwagon and they're like playboy and panic and it's like no no it's like you can't do it unless it's about the things it's about right. you know like the original was works because it's a very sophisticated let's talk uh, very briefly and then we'll open up to questions from the crowd um about pitching uh, Sarah, tell us about your pitching experience. You've written some terrific scripts. Uh, I've read a couple that didn't get to be shows. Uh, but tell me about pitching those, especially coming off of a really successful uh, run on CSI. Okay. Well, so when you've touched the golden goose, that sort of golden light reflects upon you for a couple of years after. And so everyone's like, I have no idea what made it a hit. Maybe it was you. Would you like to make a show? And you're like, yes. And so always say yes when someone says, would you like to make a show? That's my advice to you. Um, and so I, my last two years at CSI, I was consulting and developing pilots with CBS Paramount. Which was funny because their taste and my taste were not at all the same. So when they, you know, they kind of talk to you about, you should do exactly what you want. What's your voice? And then you do it and they're like, that's not at all. So, you know, like I was doing this family dramedy that was very real. I mean, it was sort of like parenthood, kind of. And the note was, I like all of this. Could the youngest daughter be an alien? (laughs) 
And I was like, what? What are you? What? Like, this is, ah. So it, it, they, you know, so just because you're told you can do what you want isn't really true. Um, I mean, you can, you just, you get, you won't sell it. Uh, I mean, you, or you'll sell it, but you, they won't make it. And I find it fascinating, the whole Dark Angel story, because of how many shows networks buy, and then very soon after, you're like, what did you buy? And they're like, well, I don't know. And so I find the pitching process to be real. I I actually enjoy it. I think it's fun. It's frustrating, but it's fun. But it's also very... um, I'll pitch for you, Hart. Oh, my God. That's (laughs) fabulous. Okay. Uh, But I, I don't... What I don't like is that it's so... Ineffective. I mean, like, the, the amount of things that can go wrong. Well, first of all, they buy your idea. They don't buy your script. That's a recipe for disaster. I mean, it's nice for us, I guess, because we can, like, talk our way into money. But, like, <laughs> you don't actually have to write it. But, but it's just a strange, like, why would you do that? Like, make the people write it and then pay them because you, you, you then know sense. what you've bought or you have a better idea than, like, I come in and and, – and now, you know, pitching's getting really uh, – because they, there are all these questions now, like, well, what's the poster, and and what's the this, and what's the that that they actually want you to do your own marketing. And I know people who show up with like beautifully made like pamphlets and booklets, and like, well, here's the characters, and you know, they do these. What are they called? Zipomatics or Ripomatics? The thing where they do like the fake teaser. And they just put all the stuff in of other movies and shows that will feel like the show that you're creating. And, I mean, the amount of money and time on, on like, editing and, and, you know, marketing that you have to do for your own thing is getting a little creepy and weird to me. It's sort of becoming like, you know, oh, well, so-and-so won the science fair because her mom works for the pharmaceutical company or whatever. You know, like, it's, it's a little bit weird. So that I'm kind of uncomfortable with. But, but pitching itself... Um, it's intimidating, you know, you walk into rooms with five or six people and you tell your idea and you're jumping around, you know, I mean, I don't jump, but like people, some people jump. Um, and they are, with the exception of Nina, who is who is a great listener. She's an active listener. Awesome. She nods and smiles and yeah. she looks like She'll your aunt. She'll cry at the sad parts. Yeah, she's like, she's, she's like Auntie Nina, yeah. right? So she's, and she's. Yeah, and she just gets really excited. As opposed and to people like sometimes in other networks. I haven't actually had anybody on the phone, but I I have they they just sort of they they have this like they they it's a professionally made mask or so mm-hmm. where they're they're like show no emotion yeah. show no emotion. But my favorite is this when you you're talking and you're pitching, and all the lower level execs have notepads, and. <laughs> When the first guy goes to write on the notepad, they all go to yeah. write on the notepad <laughs> because you just said something important. Yeah, yeah. I try to. Do, do your agents come with you? Sometimes mine does, and that's actually kind of nice because then it's like, here are my people. You brought your people here, are my. Which is like, it's weird posturing, but sometimes it's nice. Like, and I don't. I've also worked with pods, which is strange, and I I don't know that I recommend that because it's like an additional group of people. So a pod is like like Bruckheimer or like like you know you see at the end credits there's it's the CBS Paramount but then it's Chernin or it's Production it's company. whoever you know not the showrunner and not the I don't know what they do non writer producer right and so I've worked with those two so like they'll come with you I mean you know so you can bring your own crowd sometimes which is kind of nice but um 
It's just a really inexact science because, you know, it's like, oh, I got the two o'clock. That means they're just back from lunch and so they're sleepy. Or, oh, I got the 5.30 and that means everybody's really tired because they've heard 17 pitches today. And so it's... You notice, though, that there's no good time. <laughs> yes, I scored 11. No, they're hungry. We always try yeah. to take the First thing in the morning, they're not, gonna, they're not willing to commit to anything. There's no good the time. The only one I ever sold in the room was, I think, 10.30 a.m. <laughs> to who? So, good time. Nina. um so yeah i don't i spec a lot i end up specking i i just get frustrated with pitching because i i sort of know what they want to hear and i don't really want to give it i I know that i don't mean it like i'm not like actively trying to not give them what they want but what they want especially in the places where i've been pitching is so not what i you know it like makes me want to look at things online. Like it makes me want to like look at pretty pictures. I get really like not into it. So I end up specking a lot of my scripts and then using those as samples and like maybe pitching them once they're already written. But that, that works better for me because I can't. It seems like that's sort of becoming more common. To... I don't know. I feel like it's a dumb way to do it because you're giving the sure. milk away or whatever. Yeah, you're working goes, for free, but, but you're also I, getting I, 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 can't, I can't let them get involved too early. It just, mm-hmm. it upsets me. Like it just, It's mine <laughs> until, you know, when the baby still has the soft spot, you don't want to let other people hold it because if they drop it, it's broken. Like you just, so I like to just keep it for myself point, 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 until it's point, better. Point, 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 point. Yeah. No poking. Uh, Jose, what's what's been your uh, pitching experience? I think Sarah covered up pretty mm-hmm. pretty great. Um, although I do kind of feel like specking is the way to go because you have a sample, if nothing else, at the end of the right. day. Um, and if they like it, then they have to buy it. And you and you can say, well, that's what you bought. It was on the page. <laughs> if if you wanted something else, you should have told me before you paid me and didn't let me take it to Fox or whatever yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, um, I've actually had pretty good experiences with uh, pods. I worked um, with Wonderland. Uh, I had a really good experience with. Um, and it was and it was a big show. The, the problem that I had, I think you were touching on as well, uh, you're sort of bathed in the glow of, of your hits so I was coming off of uh, SVU and Without a Trace, so very long-running procedurals, which is not at all what I wanted to do. I wanted to blow shit up. Right. I wanted to have, you know, one of them was a post-apocalyptic show. One of them was a world in which uh, it was a lawyer show. It was based on a comic book called Supernatural Law. Um, and uh, <laughs> and there sonic it, guns? Or no, there's no sonic guns, oh. but there is a house-like... And the the comic is is not super well fleshed out, but the premise is there's a monster of the week, and the guy has to defend the monster of the week because monsters have civil rights. Um, nice. And so I sort of turned that guy into like a. It's a little grim, actually. It's a the little grim's grim. Grim's got a little of that. Yeah. Um, and it was. Um, this was not your question. Why am I pitching my right. pilots? Well, I'd like to hear more about him. <laughs> um, but it was basically this guy who's kind of like a house type miser because he hates human people because he knows that human people aren't as good as monsters because they judge <laughs> monsters. So he's sort of this Thurgood Marshall, you know, rah, rah, I'm going to defend <laughs> the werewolf because it's not his fault that he turns into a wolf every 30 days. And, you know, if you're a zombie, 
Uh, it's the you, Twinkie defense. You, you need to, <laughs> but, you know, if you're a zombie, you need to eat human flesh. Uh, so they should give you right. dead bodies Are to eat. Now to you shouldn't be able to drag it down the street because that's a, a hygiene concern. <laughs> But so the, it was sort of a, a David Kelly esque kind of funny, whatever. So the, but where do you where do you program that? You know, what network does that fit into? So and you developed it with Wonderland. I developed no, I developed that one with oh, was, uh, the Joe Roth company. Okay, and then you guys took it out to, and then we sold it to, uh, we pitched it to CBS actually, and Nina was not at all that. Oh, she was she, awesome. she was like. What? <laughs> There's a angry lawyer, and his first client is a is a succubus <laughs> from hell. Um, and the, and I was really proud of that pilot story too, because the whole thing is like she seduced this guy, and the guy wanted the succubus from hell because she was hot, and all she wanted was. Uh, his money because he was like a Bill Gates guy, and but he was unhappy, so he was drinking. And but when they got married, they signed their their wedding uh, papers in blood, of course, because she's from hell. Um, but the um, but the twist that our house like lawyer comes up with to get him off at the end is that they they examined the, the document that signed in blood, and his blood had a higher than 0.08 alcohol level, so he was legally incapacitated to wow. enter into a legally binding contract, nice. so the succubus goes back to hell. I'm like, come on, buy that fucking show. Um, and Nina was like, that was a really good pitch. Uh, but uh, WB bought it. Tom Sherman bought it. And we did it for them, and then it was like, we love this lawyer show. Can they be 21? It's like... When did they go to law school? They they need to be at least adults. <laughs> um, so and and I literally got a note, and and Tom apologized as he was giving the note. He's like, "We need you to make it more CW." I don't know what that means, but can you make it more CW? So that one kind of died on the vine. Um, but I I do like working with pods because you have someone after you hang up the phone. And you're That's mad right, as yeah. hell. You have someone right. to go, what the fuck is wrong with them? And they're like, they're there. It's all good. And for that, they get about 25% of your back. Yeah. <laughs> I do have to say, I, I did have, we had an outline thrown out in the 11th hour at a, at a development project I was working on. And the pod came to my house, like, on a Saturday, three executives in my living room for, like, nine hours to help me rebreak the outline. Because that we had, sounds like, to me days. like a nightmare it, beyond it was, all. It, it was, that sounds like the wor- I'd rather be shot than have three executives show up at my house to help me break a story. That is never going to happen. Oh, wow. You must be there a dream to work with. <laughs> Even with... I would no. never... Oh, no. Yeah. No. Uh, Do you tell, lock yourself in a dark room yeah. and that's how you... Yeah, I don't, I don't want... Tell us about pitching bones. Um, I'm the worst pitcher. Oh, hold on. Jose, tell us about pitching bones. <laughs> <laughs> no, heart, please. I'm a really, really bad pitcher. Luckily, everybody kind of knows me. But so there, when I come in to pitch to uh, 
any network, they, they know me a little bit, so they already have a look on their face like, this is going to be good, but not, <laughs> not in a good way. Um, uh, because I know everything about my uh, series that I'm going to pitch, mm-hmm. and uh, I never pick the right entry point, and I never know when to stop. And I, all I know is give them five minutes, and then they'll ask you questions. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I give them five minutes, uh, usually that are in no way elucidating to them. <laughs> Um, and uh, but you use words like elucidating that they don't understand. <laughs> they, yes, <laughs> I I do everything wrong. I do everything wrong at a pitch. Uh, but luckily they know me a little bit, so uh, they ask the everybody. We're, we'll help Hart. It's like, <laughs> who's the lead? What's his job? You know, uh, things like that. They, also, the, one of the reasons I'm really bad is they always say, pitch your passion. Pitch something you're passionate about. And I say the wrong thing. Don't say this. I say, are you kidding me? If I was going to pitch my passion, I'd be writing a play or a poem or something. This is Fox. <laughs> I'm going to pitch my passion to Fox. It's a network. You want a network show that's going to go for at least three years so people can make your money. So my passion has got nothing to do with this. I'll pitch something that's fun and that might make us all some money and that would be nice to do. But my passion is going to be, you know, The Magic Mountain by Thomas Mann. Do you want that? No, you don't. Do you want The Sea by John Dan- Banville? No. You want aliens. You want you want someone who, you know. Uh, and uh, I've got this theory about what works in network TV. I can't speak to, uh, um, and, and so far I'm, I'm kind of right. Um, in network TV, not cable. But that's, you have to say it like an old lady who lives in a trailer in British Columbia. And it's like, I'm going to watch that show where the lady solves crimes just looking at the bones. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. Now try and do that with, say, Lone Star. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to watch that show where the man has two lives and he has different wives in each live one's rich one's an oil company and the other ones and and then he's he's conning the both of maybe but what i'm not gonna watch that show i'm gonna watch that show where the lady solves crimes looking at bones <laughs> you know so when i went in to pitch the finder i said i got a show about a guy can find anything <laughs> And and that's that's I think that's the pitch. I got, I have a challenge for you though. Oh my god! Can you can you do the trailer lady pitching Game of Thrones? <laughs> well, it's, it's network. It's, it's for network. Oh, that's cable. Yeah. That's cable. Yeah. Well, that that made me think I of Terra Nova. I love because <laughs> Terra Nova should have worked. But that's a tough pitch for yeah. Terra Nova. Yeah. Like that that lady can't pitch Terra Nova. If they would let you guys actually exactly. figure out what Perino- Terra Nova was, you could do it. Yeah. But. You know, but because it's the show of, yeah. about the cop that travels back in time, and mm. and, and, and then I'm watching that show about people live back in the time of dinosaurs. There right, you go. that's a good pitch. Yeah. But then there's but then you know, <laughs> but the leader's son broke off with another group called the Six, and <laughs> he watches watch the show, show, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I do, I do watch the show, and I love Game of Thrones. I loved with. Oh, this is usually my closing question, but oh. why the fuck should I watch Game of Thrones? <gasps> oh, oh that's so good. I'm going to watch that show about the mighty little midget. <laughs> Does that, it have, my, that may be my... That may be my... I don't watch that show. Do you, do you all three love Game of Thrones? I love yes. it. Yes. The credits alone are worth watching. The most beautiful opening credits ever. But oh, I don't God. watch Mad Men. Have you watched it? You don't like I it? I got like 20 minutes into the pilot. Does it have wizards in it? 
No. Still not interested. The, Does it have dragons? Yes. Not interested. The, 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 the dragons don't He's show up dragons. until the very end, and they're crawling all over a naked, nubile, naked blonde woman. nubile, blonde woman. <laughs> you know what? I still like the dinosaurs better. Really? Uh, let's take some questions. We have time for a few. Who has one? Yeah. Okay. I won't touch the microphone. Um, <laughs> if uh, This is related to pitching. If you've got... Uh, fortunate enough to have spec pilots that are actually going out and you go and you're in a meeting for a pilot but it seems like they don't actually want that pilot what exactly should you be doing to work that room are you trying to figure out what didn't work that they like the writing but didn't work and repitch it are you pitching your other stuff are you trying to figure out what they want and pitching why was the meeting called that's my question I get you know if you're getting if you're getting have your representation told you like when you go in for the meeting what are they telling you this, is it a general? If I may, yeah, it seems like it's a question about a how to meeting. how to have oh, okay. a general meeting. All right, All right. they responded to your sample, yeah. is what you're saying. Okay. And so, how do you have that meeting? Which is a good question because you sort of have to go do those. If it's with a network or a studio, you just be as charming as hell. Yeah. That's it. All because they come to us and say, "I met with so and so, and she's wonderful in the room." Mm-hmm. And it took me years to realize they didn't mean a writer's room. They meant having lunch. <laughs> so you, be you wonderful. give good meeting. Be scintillating. Yeah. Be, amuse them, make them laugh. And be brief. And yeah, yeah. Don't make them make any decisions. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you're not there to sell your script in, yeah. at that moment. They, if they wanted to buy it, they would have bought it when they yeah. finished reading it. Yeah. Or if they want to hear pitches based on their interest in that script, you'll know that also. Uh, anything to add? No. No. Yeah, I had a question for you because you mentioned that you did like 60 outlines and then you were writing a draft. Did that screw up your brain in any way? Like when you were going... <laughs> you have to ask. Did that screw up your brain? <laughs> I, I actually... Let me, <laughs> let me turn that a little bit. Um, but after writing 60 outlines, you know, you said you sort of got that... The plot... Uh, how, how to my put together giant, a plot muscle. Yeah. plot muscle. Yeah. Um, how did you take that to your next jobs? Um, well, to answer the question about whether or not it screwed up my brain, I mean, I will say because it was CSI and it was about murder constantly, I, I did the first few weeks, of, like the first month of CSI, I dreamt that like things were on fire a lot. Like it was just, I mean, it, it did, but then sadly you become completely inert. Like you just have no, you, you just, you forget how disgusting the things are that you're talking about and you're, and you're like looking at crime scene photos while eating lunch and you just don't care. Um, that just is what it is. But um, what your question was plot. How did I take the skill set? Well, the yeah. problem is I keep you, – you have to be careful because you keep wanting to take CSI for all of its whatever. And I don't know that I would have watched the show had I not worked on it. I get that it is not like a hipster TV show. But – it is a good it, – for what it is, it does a really good job and the and it is run – when I was there, it was run with an iron fist. Like it was no joke and it was really hard and they did not settle for anything. It was never lazy. They were always striving to do something a little better and a little more. And I assumed, you know, like when you're a kindergartner, you assume everybody's house is like your house. And then you get to school and you go to friends' houses and you're like, whoa, they do it different here. Like, they, I, you, when I've, because I was there for so long, since I've gone to other places, I, I look around and I'm like, and I think like, 
you're not working hard enough. What are we doing? Like, we should be more. Like, you know, and unfortunately, you can get kind of, and I have to be careful because if you try to plot something too heavily, they'll be like, that may have worked for CSI, but it doesn't work here. And they, I think they sometimes, uh, when you walk into a room after having been on a hit TV show, they may be thinking that you think you're amazing because you were on, you know, the Golden Glow again. And so you have to be really careful to not be like, well, on CSI, where we were awesome. <laughs> you have to, you know, you have to be like, okay, we're, it's different here. And so I guess to answer your question in terms of that, it, like I did 200 and some episodes of CSI before I left. So nine seasons, it's a lot. So I, I did have to kind of undo some of that because other shows are written very differently. And even though I'm on a procedural now, I mean, Hawaii Five-0 was an action procedural, so it's totally different. I mean, it basically follows action movie tropes. It doesn't follow procedural crime tropes. And the show I'm on now is a genre show, really. I mean, it's a monster show, so it, it, it has a whole other thing that it does. And the crime is so is sort of... I don't want to say the least important thing, but really not the most important thing. And, and you know, like I read in a script the other day, I was like, the preliminary DNA came back and it, she's a woman. or so, And I was like, preliminary <laughs> DNA? What? What? And then I'm like, eh, this isn't CSI. Like we don't have to, it doesn't have to be exact in that same way. So I, you know, I have to kind of like pull myself back from from the kind of rigor of of crime scene rules and stuff. Because on CSI, we had like a, a CSI investigator in the room, writer's room, one on set, two full-time researchers. There's a lot of just, you get drilled about accuracy. I know you don't think so. Oh, you guys lie you so much. So. We, so much. CSI was 15% accurate, according to Popular Mechanics. <laughs> Popular Science Magazine. Mm. Bones, goofy, stupid bones. 70%. Oh, yeah. I've had this fight with Josh Berman for three years. It's my favorite fight. Okay. Can I, can I ask you something? You worked uh, with Noreen Shankar yes, on CSI. Yes, I was actually going to ask because Next Generation and Outer Limits, too, yeah. Uh, and but so yes. you're working with him on Grimm. Yes. How, is, how that, is it similar or different? That's a good question. Because when he came on to CSI as an executive, co-EP, EP, I can't remember, but a, but a, a high-level producer right at the season I was getting, going from assistant to writer. And he's a physicist, so he knows his He's stuff. a smarty pants. And he was here last month. Dr. You can download his smart podcast. Yeah. I think it's up already. Uh, the podcast we did with him. I can't remember. He's a big smarty pants. He is a big smarty pants. And it is funny to watch people because I know him so well. And I'm like, he's so nerdy, whatever. Like, I I just, you know, he's a friend. And so that people are like, let's ask Noreen because he's super smart. And I'm like, Um, but he, he, uh, he's lovely and has been lovely to me and a champion of mine since day one. But But the iron fist versus the eh, whatever preliminary DNA. He's well, we're, we're both having to just kind of relax and say, it's not, this isn't that show because Jim and David are running it. It's not Noreen running it. So we're, we have conversations like, should we say something, you know, and sometimes we say something and sometimes we don't because it's sort of how much do you, if, if they don't, if they don't want it to be CSI, you don't want to keep beating that drum because then you're an annoying CSI right. guy. So yeah, but, but I will say something interesting about working with Noreen again is that now, so I'm, you know, now we've come onto the show, I'm co-EP, he's an EP, and the, the difference after not working together for a few years and then coming back with somebody who knew you, you know, as like always That's was your boss, yeah. so your boss and now is your coworker. um, I'd say to his credit, he's handled it remarkably well. Like, he's he's been really great about sort of, you know, treating me like an equal and being much more. I hate that. I hate being like, <laughs> people keep rising and it's like, ah, you, you were a PA when I was a fucking co-EP. Yeah. Yeah. Someday you'll keep them all down. That's right. <laughs> 
That's uh, but, other than Beyonce, <laughs> but just quickly, it is about who you know because, right? Like that's part of it too. Is like the same people will come back into your life over yeah. and over. So be nice. Be nice. Yeah. I just had two questions. Um, why would uh, one's agent lie about a client's availability? What would be the <laughs> politics there? No, just in general, not even specific. Like, why would that be? And then also, what's the advantage of going in one of your shows with a pod? Like, what's the advantages and disadvantages? They they would lie. Because agents work just as much for the studios as they work for you. They have to – we come and clients come and go. Studios go on forever and the agents have to be smart. And I mean I, I've run into this a few times and what happens is someone at a studio or a network says, for example, well, we think Jose should go here and not here. So let's say this and let's arrange that in return you'll get Scott Williams. They, they arrange things and they – and they they have language for it. Well, it just didn't work out. It just didn't work. They don't. It wasn't the right fit. It wasn't. Yeah, it, and and believe me, when you're staffing, you're going okay, moving on like that. And you, I mean, I, I got into the. It's a longer story, but I had the same thing with Greg Daniels, uh, who cre- created the Office. Who he something happened, and he called me and said, "What the fuck? I thought we had a great meeting." And I made a huge mistake. I got my agent and his and the manager and the executives on uh, the phone call to say, what the fuck did you people do? What did you say? Here's what really happened. And as a result, I'm never working at that network again. <laughs> so it's, wow. just, it's just the – it's like it just opened my eyes. Oh, we they – they all lie to us. But they're, it's for our own good. You know, uh, they think, think they well, know where to put. Yeah, I mean, it's all it's all it's, the games that they have the to games. play. Yeah, it's yeah, you don't take it too seriously. Yeah. Jose's a big up and coming star. Is he going to go over on Bones or is he going to go on without a trace? Bones was not supposed to last until Christmas. They didn't know they, you know, they're it's just a, it's just the business. It's just the way it goes. I don't actually get mad. I just go, oh, Jesus, someone farted. It's like that. <laughs> uh, and I think so, we sort of tackled the pods question, but if you guys want Well, the one thing I would it. say about pods is a lot of times they start because they're people who know a lot of people in town. So if you're with a pod that's, yeah. you know, like Peter Chernin. <laughs> yeah, they can get casting. There's good Yeah, news. it's like they, they, when they walk into a room with you full of executives, they're, they're like, Peter, hey, how are you? <laughs> And it's sort of a you know you're like yeah, and so like there there can be it it feels good to be with people who know because you can't know everybody and the executives change and even if you yeah. knew them two years ago you may not know them now so if you have somebody who's done a lot of that politicking for you it's you can just write and you don't have and to. it's fine for a couple of years then about year six you go how much of my back end yeah. are they getting <laughs> all but of it sometimes they control a property too like they'll control oh, right. uh, like supernatural law was a comic book that they controlled. Um, sometimes they have ideas. They have smart execs, yeah. like the guys that came do. with pizza uh, to your house. And those things are really helpful because you want to write your passion. You want to write the Cavalier and Clay, and they don't want Cavalier yeah. and Clay. Yeah. Uh, but these guys know what they want. Yeah. And if they want uh, a lawyer that defends monsters, they probably had yeah. that conversation at lunch. At yeah. some point. You can relax a little bit with a pod. You can just relax a little bit because they're they're like an icebreaker. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a couple more. Yeah. Question for Hart. Um, I'd, I'd be curious about what the Chris Carter story was that you just kind of lost. You just kind of and uh, you want to answer that? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, it, it's a, um, Chris Carter was the king of twentieth for an obvious reason. He, his his franchise had made um, uh, like a billion dollars for them, and um, the I had an overall deal. And Chris wanted me to come and work on Harsh Realm. 
and um, uh, try and do Harsh Realm in the lady in the trailer voice. Um, <laughs> and, um, uh, and it was either go work for Chris um, on Harsh Realm or go run Judging Amy. Um, and I, I just didn't think Harsh Realm was going to stick around. And um, so I chose insanely. I mean, think for two seconds about that choice. My poor agent, everyone just thought, even my wife thought I was nuts. Um, and, um, and, and, and I know Chris a little bit, and I have coffee with him. It's not, a, it's not a contentious thing. It was for about four days. Everyone was screaming and yelling, and then it went mm-hmm. away. And So that's, that's the Chris Carter story. It's just like trying to choose which project to go on. I'm probably not a good... Uh, yeah, that was a crazy decision. It just happened to be lucky and work out. But it was a crazy decision. You had another question? Yeah, it was just about the difference between working here and in Canada. Just obviously your career is, is gangbusters right now here, but do you make an effort to go back and do projects? Do you still want to do projects there and go back and forth, or is that not really a priority anymore? I, I can't. Um, I, am, I have an overall deal with 20th. Um, they have absolutely no interest in doing a Canadian co-production of any kind. It, it, you know, for Canadians, it's... Um, I get tons of cool projects. I, I got offered this miniseries to do on Conrad Black, which I would have killed to do that, but I couldn't do it. But what I want to say to them is, hey, I'm the same guy who left. How come all of a sudden, you know, you come down here and all of a sudden talk about the Golden Glow, touching the hem, and I'm exactly, I'm exactly the same guy. I mean, I'm a little bit better with, <laughs> a little bit better with networks and studios but you know all of a sudden coming down here made me desirable and if i'd stayed there i wouldn't have been as desirable so it's just heartbreaking they some great a really uh, just last week a great project came from a canadian producer um that oh i i just want to do it so much but it's just it's impossible uh i think that's about all the time we have but very briefly uh, and we'll just go down the line. Tell us what you guys are watching on television, what your rooms are talking about, anything like that, except for Game of Thrones. We've already covered it. Uh, Har, <laughs> right, we'll start with you. Um, I'm watching Louis C.K. I think it's the greatest thing ever. Um, I think that community, I, uh, community is another one of those shows. I don't understand why it isn't. It's such a great show. It's brilliant to me. Um, am I watching any hours? Apparently I'm not. <laughs> Sorry, n- the rest of America isn't either. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> Although they're watching Bones. The yeah. Uh, Jose? Uh, community is one that's, that's big in my isn't house, awesome? too. Yeah, <laughs> it's ridiculous and hilarious. Um, and um, Mythbusters? Um, <laughs> no. That counts. That's a show. Top Gear. The Top British gear. one, not the American one. Top Gear. Top Gear? Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll Tivo that. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I've got the, the season passes for the new shows. I've, been, I've watched both episodes of Graham, sort of trying to figure out what's out there that I like. I've been Breaking Bad. trying to mainline Breaking Bad yeah. <laughs> um, because that guy right there and everybody else in my room is like, this is the greatest show ever it on is, television. I don't get it. Oh, it's it's, it's good. Oh, it's I, it's so very good. How, how, but it's not how the greatest fucking show on TV. That, that show was called uh, I forget. The Wire. Uh, it's called The Wire. Uh, no, the dude, The Wire. I can't get oh, through the two wire. episodes. It's oh, so boring. It's so Jose, we are done. Mad Men. Sarah. Mad Men. <laughs> Mad Men is crucial. Now, now I'm just not, not going to get jobs from anybody. <laughs> um, but th- 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 this is uh, something I hear from a lot of people. Um, you got to give it till episode eight. Fuck you. I'll give you the pilot. If I don't like it, I'm out. 
Of what? Of breaking of anything. Oh, of uh, the watch. Of anything. If you if you launch your show in such a way that that I'm not compelled to come back, why should I? Sean Ryan had the greatest line about the wire. He said, "Do you like the wire?" I said, "I love the wire." And he says, "Why, man? They don't even fucking try to entertain you." And I thought he's absolutely right. <laughs> yeah. But I don't care. I love it. It's a great line. If I if I want to be edified, I'll read a book. Why I watch TV to be entertained, uh, and. Again, Breaking Bad is a good show. Objectively, there's nothing that I can point at and go, mm-hmm. that's weak. Um, except for all the Spanish accents are all over the place. Um, but <laughs> Poor Giancarlo Esposito. <laughs> but um, but I, I don't get the, the hyperbole uh, about why it's the greatest thing since life spread. Same with Batman. Um, you know, uh, it's over now, but Battlestar was one of my favorite shows and lost for you know a while um we will sit down yeah uh, <laughs> sarah what are you watching my taste is super soft it's way different from <laughs> downton what I abbey i do love I, downton me too. Abbey. <laughs> it is so good i love it <laughs> what is weekend that's what, that's the best um this no. chair has wheels on it <laughs> <laughs> the telephone shrieks like a banshee <laughs> I'm sorry. May we all be so wealthy and unemployed that we don't know what a weekend is. Um, it, no, I watch Modern Family. I love it. Although yeah. this season, I don't, I can't. Um, I love Modern Family. I love. I kind. I like New Girl. The, it, it's weird. It's and, adorable. But oh my god! It, I but it. I do. I kind of like. I just it. love it. <laughs> I, I do too. The wedding episode was really funny. Um, I I I like Gossip Girl and Revenge. Like I like these like trashy because I think like you. I like to be entertained. And I if it's too close to what I'm writing, like a procedural show, I'm I'm like I'm robocopping it. I'm I'm like looking at how they're mapping out their plot and what they're doing and it's I, it's sort of the veil's been lifted and it's unfun I mean I don't know that I was ever a big procedural watcher even before I did it but I just if they're yeah so you know what's good is uh, Vampire Diaries I, I didn't get started on it and I kind of regret that because it's right in my wheelhouse it's, like it's totally and I because they I burn through story like you would not believe yeah, they are not yeah. afraid they, yeah they they are just you know, literally burning through story because yeah. they're burning up characters. People die ten a season. Wow, it's awesome! All right, I'll, I'll 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 get started on that. Maybe I think my favorite show of all time was probably Six Feet Under. I think like that was that that's one that I really liked. It's not on anymore, in case you didn't. Know, <laughs> I really like that crab fisherman show a lot. <laughs> Is that the, the one most with dangerous the... catch? Oh, not the one with the deadliest catch. Oh, I thought it was about loggers uh, yeah. on the beach. <laughs> Beat me to it. Sam. Sorry, sorry. There were a good logger show on now. <laughs> know, that's what we need. Uh, please give a round of applause for our panelists: Hart Hansen, Jose Molina, and Sarah Goldfinger. Thanks to 826LA, uh, to Ed and Katie, and everyone here at Nerdist Industries and Meltdown Comics. Good night. Now leaving Nerdist.com.